Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. back to another episode of Black Girls Texting. It's Shade reporting live from Los Angeles, the city of angels. Chelsea Pinky is literally right across from me. So if some funky audio things start to pop up, bear with us. You know, we're women on the go. We're Black girls doing shit. Mm-hmm. Pinky, passing it over to you. Black girls eating tater tots, Black girls traveling, Black girls driving, Teslas, and mukbang. The way you say mukbang sounds very sexual, and maybe that's just because you've been sending us so many inappropriate things into our group chat. I've been sending inappropriate (laughs) things. Do you not know what you just sent? (laughs) That was an important topic of discussion, what I sent. We're going to have to get into that on the Patreon. Yeah, I think so, too. um, Shall we jump into our on red or reply, ladies? On red or reply. Anybody want to start? I can start if y'all don't want to start. Um, okay, so a couple things. I don't have an on red, but like two literary recommendations, I guess. I think I've talked about this before on the show. There's this book called Such a Fun Age by this writer named Kylie Reed. It's this really interesting story that looks at race and class and childcare. Um, it follows like a black babysitter of this white woman who reminds me of like all the white women that were the parents of kids at the schools that I've taught at in the past. And this is not a spoiler, but the book opens with the babysitter takes the child to the grocery store in the middle of the night as like a distraction. The mom needs to get her out of the house. And somebody in the store thinks that she's like kidnapping the child and it turns into a whole fucking thing. They call the cops, blah, 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 blah. Someone films it. And then now they're trying to like deal with the fallout of all of this. There's a lot of like subtle conversations around race and class that are really interesting that come up in the book. And I highly recommend, I just started it. I was at the beach this weekend and literally I was running back to the book. Um, It's so good. So I recommend that. And then um, I've been thinking a lot about romancing one's life for themselves and like being the main character in your own story and shit. And somebody on brand for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Someone just posted this poem um, by an author named, hold on, Rio Cortez. She has a uh, collection coming out called Golden Axe. And this poem was on poets.org today. Um, Do y'all know who Nancy Myers is? She's the filmmaker behind all your faves, like something's gotta give. Okay. okay. Yeah. She makes all those like, yeah, all those like romantic comedy movies, but what she's become known for like later in her life is making romantic, romantic comedies that feature like older characters. So that's when you get our fave shit. What's her name? Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton and all her fabulousness and like Jack Nicholson being like old and in love. So she wrote this poem called Black Lead in a Nancy Myers film. I'm going to read it for y'all real quick. So it goes aging at all. I want that. 
and to fall perhaps most honestly in love besides the ocean in a home I've paid for by doing as I like, drinking good wine, dusting sugar over a croissant, or the stage play I'm writing myself into, aging Black woman in neutral summer turtleneck, known and jogging, lonesome enough, eating homemade lavender ice cream, the moon blooming through the kitchen window, the distant sound of waves, learning French as a second language. And she has something in French that I can't pronounce, so I'm skipping that. And then, just like that, falling cautiously for my busy, middle-aged lover who needs me, but has never truly seen me until now, our Black friends celebrating with hors d'oeuvres, our Black children growing older. I just love it. Um, Just, you know, imagine. And I think it's so interesting that this poem really gets at aging. Like, we don't get to see people being older and living their best lives, but specifically Black people. And then the sweetness of growing older as a Black person we see so often our lives being taken, which is why I think the last line, our Black children growing older, is really powerful. So yeah, uh, that is Rio Cortez. I'm definitely going to be following her work. And that's that on that. I love that, Glenise. And nothing to leave on red. She's just a happy camper. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I will jump in in the spirit of positivity, I also don't think I have anything to leave on red. I I guess I can leave like my ailing body on red. I'm literally going to see a physical therapist and she's like, yeah, so like they don't tell you this, but basically like as you get older, your bones just like deteriorate and that can start as early as 27. And I'm like, oh, great. And she's basically like, and then it's kind of all downhill from there. So yeah, you know, a bitch, hips hurt, knees hurt, my back be hurting. And it's uh, happening. You're turning 30. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> but you know, we're gonna keep it, we're gonna keep it pushing. Um, in terms of what I'm replying to, I'm replying to my lovely couple of days gallivanting around LA with Chelsea Pinky. It has been so lovely. You know, Charles Pinky is the foodie connoisseur. Um, she gives rich bitch energy at all times. She has me at... She's no- shaking her he- head no, and it's, it's nothing but true. It's nothing but true. She's got me at Nobu. She's got me at all the hip LA restaurants. She's taking me out. She's like, oh, I've got to take my Tesla and pick something up from the Grove and, you know, just very LA, but it's so cute. And um, she's got such a cute group of friends out here. More rich bitch energy. We love to see it. Black rich bitch energy, which we love to see. So it's been, it's been fun. I've got to get back out here. I definitely will need to fast. Shade is dramatic. She literally woke up at the crack of dawn I was on a work call with like my boss's boss, just like chatting and she's like coming in and I'm ignoring her because I'm like, bitch, I'm on a call with my boss's boss and she's standing there. I see her in the corner of my eye, like making hand movements. And I'm like, girl, I'm on a call. Sorry, you're going to have to fucking wait. And then I just see her run back with my keys, jingling them. And like, I was like, where are you going when the call ended? And she's like, I'm going to the gym but the gym's not open yet. So she's extra. She does. She's she'll be fine. I'm going to force her to do the Culver city steps today. Um, a natural workout. We don't have to go to the gym. We can be in nature. We can, you know, enjoy the LA weather. We can get the LA views. So that's what we're going to do. 
I'm also going to reply to her visiting. I'm happy she visited, even though we live in a trap house because I have no furniture, which is what I'm leaving on red. But we got the email today that our furniture is coming on Thursday. So by next week, I won't be living in a crack house anymore. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's major trap house energy. We'll talk more on the Patreon about my sleeping arrangement. (laughs) (laughs) Did you make a pallet? I, I got her an air mattress, an air mattress, a good air mattress. It said it was like a double decker. Situation. Yeah, with a little extra little topper. Yes, mm-hmm. a queen. <laughs> there was a twin option, and I said <laughs> she deserves a queen, and I got her a queen, and I even got sheets for it, and Casper pillows. She did. She did. She she went on out all out. And to be honest, in her defense, I'm not even. I wasn't even supposed to be here. Um, who I was supposed to stay with ended up getting COVID-19 and so here we are they were also supposed to be in New York so I don't know how you were going to do that to begin with well that was going to be fine yeah but you know we don't want leftover COVID in the crib Mm -mm, and me mm -mm. pulling up and you know like nah that's not it so oh ah I just thought of a hotline bling guys okay oh god go what we have literally just been talking about in our group chat. I mean, again, we can expound in the Patreon, but um, that can morning. also be a what would you do? It could Child. be because the 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 group chat started blicking early. Oh, not me saying blicking because of Chelsea and this Nicki Minaj blick blick. Um, the group chat with our other friend, a friend of the show, you might know her. She is a lovely young lady. One, Glenn was like, I'm in a meeting. I'm running over. I can't record, but had time to send a tweet. I knew y'all were going to say that to me. <laughs> I mean. Not not any tweet, an NSFW tweet. <laughs> and I'm like, child, you and your meeting looking at this shit. The fuck is going on? Uh... And Chelsea lets out a gasp. She's like, <gasps> and I'm thinking like, what happened? Like something crazy happened to then, I just see Boom boom, like yeah. no other way to put it. <laughs> Busted. It was wide open. Busted. Open. Mm-hmm. And I think we can get a little more explicit on this in the in the Patreon. But the one thing we, we've all been saying is like, is this, you know, a, a sense of sexual liberation, or is this a something you might regret later in life? I don't know, but. Yeah, I don't know. To give a little more context, but without giving a lot of context, let's just put it this way. Somebody we know is now on OnlyFans. And a lot of people are on OnlyFans. And to Shade's point, it gives people a sense of liberation, I think. There's probably a lot of power that comes with people paying for what you're giving them. I think this person probably would do it without that, even without that, like, there's something freeing about it, but then, yeah, are these do these things? Do you regret them later, or are we coming into a time when like this shit won't even matter? And like, why do we associate that with regret at all when we're, we're like consistently destigmatizing sex work and nudity, and everybody has sex and everybody has a vagina? Like, maybe maybe we'll get to the point. Maybe we are just like a little taken aback by it because we haven't seen it before. We haven't like really shifted our mindset yet. And maybe we will, there will be a time when it's not yeah. a huge deal. Yeah. I also wonder, and I'm still like thinking about this because like my 
knee-jerk reaction was like she's definitely gonna regret this and like I mean I'm not super close to her I definitely consider her a friend but like if she had come to me like and said hey I'm planning on doing this on OnlyFans that's one thing but like on an open platform where anyone can get that no paywall no control over who can see that or who can share that I would definitely say girl don't do that as a friend and I would think that that would be like good friendly advice um, and I'm also grappling with the fact that like, yes, let's de- destigmatize sex work, but like, does anyone go into sex work purely because they want to, or are they going into sex work because we live in a capitalistic society and you need to make money? And like, as a woman, you can always make money with your vagina and your body. Um, but like, is that something anyone wants to do? Like, is that something that like, do kids, do you grow up saying, I want to show my vagina on the internet? You know what I'm saying? Like, is that truly a goal if we're being honest or is that just like unfortunately like circumstances and a way to just get money quickly I mean we all are do any of us want to do the jobs that we're doing maybe to like an extent but it's a job right I don't know I see what you're saying but we're all playing into into capitalistic capitalistic shit which is actually a nice kind of tie to the episode oh my god oh look at that but yeah I mean it's just a choice But like my work brings me a sense of pride in a way. Like when I say where I work, like, and someone's like, oh my God, I love that place. Or that place is so cool. It's like, kind of brings me some pride or like people who go into like, I guess more meaningful work, like becoming a doctor or something. It's like, yeah, maybe you don't want to wake up every morning and work, but like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe some people do truly dream of being sex workers. I don't, I don't know. I'm just like thinking about like, if that's just like a circumstance of, just being a woman and needing to get money. Yeah, I'm super torn. I think that, you know, I have a friend in sex work. If you guys go back, we actually did an episode on sex work a long time ago, and I don't have time to really scroll down. So just scroll on back. But I think, you know, some people do not necessarily take a pride in like, okay, some people might be pride from being sex workers, but I think there's a pride in being able to like have ownership of your body, which like for so long may have felt like it was for someone else. So I don't know, like, I don't even fully think I can wrap my head around this, but it is what it is. And uh, had the group chat going, still going. If maybe they would come on the show. They were supposed to come on the show for a while now. So Maybe. Yeah, that would be cool to have her on the show. And I also do want to point out, we also have a friend who's a sex worker who wants to get out of it. So like, that is also a thing. Like, but like, she probably needs to pay her bills. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know. It's, it's tricky. Because there is like, I think when people want to get into like dancing, that's the thing that girls like really want to do. And it feels popping and fun. Maybe for some depends. And on like a, a good way to make a lot of money fast. Mm-hmm. I don't know. More power to her. Um, mostly I'm hopeful that she is safe. Um, just because unfortunately, I think like stuff like that invites more terrible stuff. But I just pray that she stays safe and is OK with her decisions. And yeah. And that people are mature about it. Because people, this we were talking about this on a past episode. Somebody in our like, circle had some something similar, and people just never let, never forgot it. 
yeah like shunned her think she's like gross all these exactly. things so there's like a social um implications of this kind of stuff and too. now a word from our sponsors Hey, group chat, it's your girl Sade, and y'all know I am the queen of self-care, and I'm about to tell you more about how you can spring forward into the new season feeling good. This spring, I know we're all craving a getaway and some much-needed time off to reconnect with ourselves. Whether you're going far away or sticking closer to home, the getaway you're dreaming of is closer than you think. Take a real spring break at European Wax Center. European Wax Center are the experts in waxing for everyone. When you visit a European Wax Center, you get the best of the best. They're certified wax specialists are expertly trained in prepping, protecting, and pampering your skin. They're going to make you feel brand new. So don't wait for summer to get away from it all and recharge. Book yourself a moment of smooth with the wax experts. They even have an online booking system that makes getting a reservation super simple and forward and an app you can use. It's the EWC app to book your waxing service. Take a real spring break and book yourself a moment of smooth at European Wax Center. Make a reservation today. Your first wax is free. Hey group chat, it's your girl Chels Pinky and I am so into my skincare and my makeup and my hair health right now. Everything I need and all the products that I use, I get from Ulta Beauty. They are truly the best beauty destination right now. Each time I go there, my needs are met since they carry such a wide and inclusive assortment of products. And the specialists that work there are beyond helpful. At Ulta Beauty, the possibilities are beautiful. If there's anything that you're looking for that relates to beauty, you can absolutely find it there. Shop Ulta Beauty now. Our entire group chat does, so should you. And now we are back with more Black Girls Texting. My good sis, that's a Black girl doing shit. We are so lucky to have our Black girl doing shit today in the flesh. Um, Number one, she's gorgeous. So I highly recommend y'all hit the YouTube so you can see what's really good. But we have Dr. Layla D. Brown here in the building with us. Dr. Brown is an assistant professor of cultural anthropology and Africana studies and affiliate faculty in women's gender and sexuality studies at Northeastern University. Her research focuses on pan-African socialist and feminist social movements in Venezuela, the United States, and the broader African diaspora. Her most recent publication, The Pandemic of Racial Capitalism, Another World is Possible, can be found in From the European South, which I would love you to share more on like what we can find, and we're going to get into all that. But thank you so much for joining us. I love a Black girl doing shit with a mouthful of a bio with all types of fancy words and shit. Accolades. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So... I, we were introduced to you by Blair Imani, actually. She came on our show and we were wanting to kind of dig into talking more about like capitalism, socialism, communism, all the isms. And she actually recommended um, your work and that we reach out to you. So shout outs to her and thank you for joining us. But I really kind of want to like break down the different structures to start up the conversation with our listeners. And if you'd be willing to like lend some of your knowledge to that, that'd be great. I also got some like real generic definitions, but um, <laughs> would love to kind of just help our listeners understand where we're going in the conversation. Of course, of course. Although I do want to say, I think I don't know Blair Imani. I think Blair Imani knows Sharice, um, my co-host for ah. for um, LBI, and I think that that's how the connection. That's is how made. we all got connected. Gotcha. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Well, first off, I would love to kind of just do the 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 basics, like capitalism, 
I think we think we know what it is, but if you could kind of give some more knowledge to that, that would be great. Sure. Um, I mean, there are many different people who theorize what capital, what capitalism is. Um, but for me, I just use a sort of basic understanding, which comes from um, Marx's understanding of it. But for me, I read more um, Kwame Nkrumah, Sekou Toure. I read more African thinkers who are thinking with Marx through the predicament of capitalism in the Af- on the African continent and in the African diaspora. But fundamentally, capitalism is a system of exploitation. It is a oh. system... I mean, it's a system whereby uh, wealth is accumulated by those who own the means of production based on the labor of those who actually do the work. Um, and so in the way that we understand capitalism, there is no, there is no benevolent capitalism. There is no kind capitalism. There is no way. There is no better way. There is no black capitalism won't save us because as a system, the only way that it exists is through certain people, a small minority of people who actually don't do the bulk of the work themselves, enriching themselves off of the labor of the people who do do the work. Mm -hmm. And as long as they're able to do that, the people who actually do the labor won't be able to reap the benefits of the labor. So this might come up when we start to define these other isms, but when do we really see, like historically, when do we really see capitalism start to emerge as something that people are adopt globally sure um well so the sort of pre-capitalist phases come along with the uh, transatlantic slave trade and so Mm -hmm. what we see i mean you know in the development of human history right as as human beings we initially largely lived as hunter gatherers we lived off the land we did not accumulate or amass things right we we moved you know when when droughts occurred when storms occurred we moved we moved our you know animals along with that over time um, you know, when we develop our ability to engage in what they call animal husband, husbandry, right? So we're able to learn the way that animals reproduce. And so we start creating these sort of small scale farms. We start, um, uh, like I said, mar- not, when I say animal husbandry, it is literally like pairing up animals to have offspring so that mm. we can utilize that. <laughs> we start to settle down. Um, but even on even sort of small scale farming is not the time type of sort of surplus we're talking about when we talk about capitalism, that really begins to occur. Um, the initial phases are with the transatlantic slave trade, right? And so we begin to see through the enslavement and exploitation of the labor of enslaved people, we begin to see at a, at a, a grossly increased accumulation of profit, right? But then what really, when it really, really picks up is with the industrial revolution. Um, so mm. slavery is sort of a precondition to capitalist accumulation, right? Um, it, it would not, capitalist accumulation would not be possible without it, but that's not quite the phase where it occurs, but it's really um, when things become industrialized. Um, so 1700s, right? Um, more so the 1800s, where we sort of really see the gross, like gross, vulgar accumulation of, of capital. Um, and we see the, the sort of systematic disenfranchising of, of different groups of people, right? Um, you know, there are a number of different arguments about why slavery took place and how slavery took place. Um, but racism and anti-Blackness is largely a justification for a way that they, that, that Europeans and the colonial sort of imperial interests were able to justify permanently enslaving a group of people but it wasn't necessarily the original impetus right like all over the world we've all had all peoples have had what they understood to be um, known peoples and sort of you know foreigners barbarians I mean they're all different types of names that that people use to describe the people that weren't within their um, in-group 
Obviously, slavery existed um, in a number of societies mm-hmm. prior to the transatlantic slave trade. But one of the sort of fundamental differences of that moment is this is this process of justification, right? Whereby we see um, people who are unable to escape that based on phenotypic characteristics, a logic that gets ascribed to phenotypic characteristics, right? Right, which is dark black skin and all these other things that we come to know as blackness. And I feel like such a distinction, at least from my understanding, is just like the the mass of like what the transatlantic slave trade was compared to like seeing slavery in, in the past. Like it essentially built an empire to a degree that is probably beyond what we had seen in the past. And Absolutely. so much of that like created the kind of grotesqueness of like the way we see capitalism today. I was watching, I'm watching The Gilded Age on HBO. I don't know if you guys are watching that, but it, Mm -mm. it makes you like, oh, wow. People were just coming up in here and like stealing shit and just making a lot of money and had like such like grotesque levels of wealth (laughs) that like, (laughs) clearly they have like generational wealth. Clearly like these banks are able to be creative because they were just like pillaging, like literally just taking everything and taking over. I mean, Um, literally like the game is rigged against us because none of the laws that we know as they exist today, they all were created and came into being to to allow colonizers and, and imperial forces to hold on to the shit that they stole in the first place right like, <laughs> you know, they didn't have that they, they created the laws to make sure that what what they stole could not be taken back from them essentially man the whole system is rigged you know um, I, I also sorry go ahead, go ahead. And i know we're going to keep defining the other the other yes. terms but i am curious if you think that these sorts of systems specifically capitalism are I know they're tied to like economics, but it also feels like it's like a human evolution type of thing. Mm. Like the the more that people realize like, oh, like you were saying, we used to be hunter and gatherers and then some kind of consciousness switches and people are like, Mm -hmm. oh, I could have more. And like, when does more start to feel better that then they create systems for Uh it to withstand, you know? I do. And you know, this, this comes up a lot. It, it like every semester when I'm teaching my students, we always have this conversation and I don't, this is, this is essentially um, a, a philosophical question. Like it's, it's a, it's a question about how you understand human nature and who you understand humans to be. Right. And to be honest, I don't necessarily like, even though we've had wars for centuries, right? We've had all kinds of atrocities committed. I personally do not believe that human beings are inherent. I don't necessarily believe we're inherently good or evil, but I certainly don't believe we're inherently bad. And so I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. think that it, it was inevitable that we would develop these systems. I don't, I don't believe that. And I think that that comes from a couple of things, right? So like, I, you know, I've, lived in a few different countries i've traveled all over the world even so i've lived in johannesburg and in caracas those are two cities that almost always make the top 10 most dangerous cities in the world the list of top 10 most dangerous cities in the world but by and large in spite of all of the things that are happening most people are going about living their daily lives most people are you know still obeying whatever social laws they've agreed to whatever they've created they are you know Most people leave their houses every day expecting to be able to come back home. That's not to say that, you know, things like femicide and and carjack, all kinds of things are happening, right? But the vast majority of us are living and surviving, right? And and I think that so much of the, of, 
of the sort of danger that we see in those situations comes from scarcity. And I think that there's more than enough. There's more than enough, maybe not for us to live in excess, but there's more than enough for, for our basic needs to be met. And so I don't think I could ever answer that question until we're at a place where the majority of people have their basic necessities met, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, so I, you know, I, I hear you and I, and I understand why people are always contemplating that. And I guess it's just the, the, the revolutionary in me has to believe that, that, that the better is possible, right? And it has to believe that better is possible and that it comes from us as people. And so if, mm-hmm. if we're not going to realize it, nobody else is. <laughs> nobody else is. And so maybe that's optimistic or hopeful on my part, but that is what I've chosen to believe. Oh, I, I feel like that beautifully transitions us to kind of mm-hmm. going to like communism and socialism and breaking down the differences. Because so much of the conversations that I have with people around like my belief in in more so socialism, just because we haven't necessarily seen communism, I feel be successful in history, but whatever we can get into that is that it's like just the basic needs. And I'm not talking about like poorly, you know, taking care of projects. I'm talking about like decent housing, access to water, good food, nothing crazy. Healthcare, <laughs> education. You know, you know. <laughs> um, I guess we could start with communism. I feel like that is kind of the, the scariest word shout outs to McCarthyism. (laughs) (laughs) Can we break that down for the listeners? So, I mean, communism is a, is an economic structure, even, even more so than social. I mean, the, the relationship between the two is really interesting, is interesting and not, and they're not that distinct, but it's a sort of institutionalized form of socialism. Like, so socialism is this sort of a way of being where we understand um, having our basic needs met, right? There's, it's, a, it's a principle. And communism is the sort of higher, it's the highest institutional realization of that, right? According to Marx, according to Marx. Um, whereas, you know, for Pan-Africanists like um, Kwame Nkrumah, right, communism was not the goal. Their Pan-Africanism for them was the un- liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism scientific socialism as opposed to utopian socialism right utopian socialism being this like you know it's 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 utopian socialism is the socialism that um you know liberals and republicans in the u.s try to demonize right like it's this version where everything is just great and we all you know everything is fluffy and we're all happy it's it's this it's this version of socialism that is not necessarily taking into account what the real um material conditions are that need to be met for all people, right? Usually Mm -hmm. a utopian socialism is limited to a particular group. Um, In some ways, we can even see some versions of that early on with the formation of the EU, right? There are ways that Mm. Europeans engage in a type of socialism with each other that they don't think the the rest of the world is entitled to. Um, (laughs) So, um, and so for for Pan-Africanists, we have an understanding that socialism or communalism um, is a logic that existed for a lot of us in, in our societies predating colonialism um, or slavery or imperialism. And that scientific socialism just means that it is based on observable, observable conditions and facts, based on the sort of historical material conditions and what is actually possible to be implemented, right? So that that's kind of the distinction that's made between scientific and utopian socialism. And again, communism, it was theorized 
you know, by Marx based on his observations in Europe, right? In, in Russia and other, in other places in Europe. And so I think that what's important for me and the reason why I don't, I don't identify as a communist, although I have no qualms with communism, I think that communism is, came about as a, as a moment in time where they were theorizing particular historical moment, reality and future for the European industrial world. And there are some different mm -hmm. things that have to be accounted for on the African continent and Latin America in these sort of post-colonial, uh, post-colonial, I'll say that in quotes, um, and post-enslaved uh, post societies, right? And so the, the distinction between the two is, is interesting and complicated, but one of the phrases that I like to utilize to understand it in a very simple term is from each according to their ability uh, no, yeah, from each according to their ability to each according to their needs, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I say when I say that is that socialism and communism is not everybody is the same. That, that was never the idea, right? It is that we all um, are able to contribute based on different factors and, and we need things based on, you know, based on different factors, right? So one of the ways we can understand that is the sort of three basic groups of human development, stages of human development that we have, right? We have childhood, adulthood, and we have our sort of elder stages. What we understand is that the, us in the middle, for the most part, we're taking care of children and elder people. Children have not yet developed all of, all of the skills and and functions that they need to be able to take care of themselves. And in the case of elders, a lot of them have lost some of those things. And perhaps they already worked their asses off up to a point and maybe they need a break, right? And mm -hmm. so we understand that for us, we would be doing the bulk of the work, the labor, the caring, because we can right? Because mm -hmm. we have the ability to, but we understand that at different stages in life, we have different needs. We can also think about that in, you know, as it relates to people with different abilities, right? So we also, you know, because you are born without the ability to see or the ability to walk, or because you have different type of um, neurological cognitive functioning, does that mean you're any less entitled to an ability to live, mm -hmm. right? To, to eat, um, to feel safe, no, but we also know that someone else is going to have to help provide that for you. And so that the logic of socialism says we do that on a community, on a, on a nationwide global community level, right? This is not just about nuclear family structure taking care of one another, that we have a societal responsibility to each other to help us live dignified lives. Which one would you describe or which one would you define America as? Because some of the things you've said Although I feel like America's a capitalistic society, some of the things you've said, we actually do have. Okay, I don't know if I want to answer or ask questions. So what I answer is yes, the U.S. is absolutely, the U.S. is the epitome of capitalism. The U.S. is one of the worst, one of the grossest examples of it. Um, you know, one of the reasons why um, we, one of the things that people will often say about living in the U.S., right, is that, they're excited. They're happy because they don't live somewhere else because the conditions of life are worse elsewhere. Part of the reason why the conditions of life are worse elsewhere is because the United States as a country literally has come into existence by raping and pillaging Period. everywhere else in the world. Um, and so, and so again, and so maybe then even this is that that distinction between although the, the U.S. is not even it doesn't even pretend to support any form of socialism. What we have had historically is the form of a welfare state, which is not the same thing. Um, and even that is lacking, right? And there are other- Explain the, the difference because, yeah. So, like 
so we so in the U.S. the the welfare state the welfare welfareism in general essentially gives people just enough to keep them in chains, right? Just enough to make us not revolt, just enough so that we will will tolerate the the daily indignities, right? And so that that's a that's a minimum wage, even though minimum wage doesn't actually allow you to live a dignified life. That is. Um, uh, that's a healthcare system that most of us don't have access to, right? Uh, that's that's a medical system that waits for us to get sick um, and then tries to treat us rather than thinking about preventative um, medicine. Uh, that is an educational system that is that supposedly is free. I mean, you know, we have other worse examples of, of educational systems in the world, predominantly in post colonies, um, but that that brainwashes us into um, patriots who say the Pledge of Allegiance and Wild. believe things like, yeah, and who I believe think about the fact like, that that's crazy. <laughs> and who believe things like, you know, at least I wasn't born in Africa because if I was born in Africa, I would still be godless, right? That's that's a part of what the U.S. does, right? Um, whereas, whereas a socialist state is a, is a state, and again, there are, there are also issues with, with, the kind of organization of the state. And there are a lot of people who are thinking through what it, like what are our other organizational possibilities to realize Mm -hmm. socialism? Um, But in the world of nation states, it's what we have. Um, But a socialist state is one that is, that is, um, that has the consent of the governed, right? That the masses of the people are actually able to engage in political processes, right? In the US, supposedly in the constitution, we have the ability to depose leaders who don't do what they say they're gonna do when we put them in power. Yet the idea of a coup d'etat, the idea of of removing someone from office, the closest we got to that was, what was that, 26? It might've been before, what was it in Wisconsin? I forget the year. It was the closest that we have gotten to doing that in this country Hmm. in as long as I can in the history of this country. We We do not take elected leaders out of power when they don't do what they say they're gonna do. We just sit and wait. January 6th. Oh heck, no, I ain't that's that's <laughs> a whole other thing. No, no, no. When I, no, what I'm talking about in Wisconsin was um, it was was it the governor? Oh, I can't remember it. Me doing but my was Googles, actually, like what? Yeah. But there was actually a recall for one of the elected officials to be removed from office, right? Um, and that's something that we we can't imagine here. And you know, a lot of people think about coup d'etats as political instability. I think about coup d'etats as a type of political maturity. No, not, and I'm not talking about military coup d'etats. I'm not talking about military coup d'etats. Mm-hmm. But when, but when the people, so like, okay, here's one instance. In Venezuela, um, prior to what was that, 1989, uh, Venezuela was largely understood as an ideal democracy in the eyes of the West, in the eyes of the U.S. and and and, and Europe. Largely, what that means is that they do what the hell the U.S. tells them to do, right? In 1989, there was a president, Carlos Andres Perez. He was elected as a populist leader. The people elected him. He was, so the World Bank and the IMA and the IMF had instituted all these structural adjustment programs. He had run pushing against those structural adjustment programs. Um, Overnight in 1989, there was a tripling or quadrupling in in the price of bread, in the price of milk, in the price of public transportation. The people said, fuck that. We're not doing that. Okay. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. rioted. And they rioted. From that moment in 1989, 
that is when the image of Venezuela that we have now, Caracas is one of the most dangerous cities, came to be. And part of that is because it was the black and brown and indigenous, the black and indigenous people who lived in the barrios, who flooded the cities and rioted, rebelled against these structural adjustment policies to put it to to remove that that president from power because of the way their lives changed overnight when he did exactly what he said he was not going to do. Mm. That then set the stage for Hugo Chavez five or six years later to lead a fail. He led a failed coup d'etat in 94. He ends up going to jail. But he later, he gets out to this with the mass support of the people and becomes the duly elected president of Venezuela in 1999, 10 years after this, because of the sustained momentum that the people said they want, we will, we do not want this. We want a, we want a president, we want a leadership, we want a government that engages us as people and thinks about us, our human rights, right? And one of the first things that he did when he came to power was rewrite the constitution to think about the particular needs of Black, of Indigenous people, of women, of poor people, to to restructure the entire society. In Venezuela, before Chavez died, at the height of Chavez's um, presidency, I think something like 89% of the population voted and voted in favor of him. We live Mm -hmm. in a country where the president is uh, elected by 20% of the population. Because wow. less than forty, less than forty percent of the population even votes to begin with, and right. then that's that's split, right? And so, not only you know do we have no version of socialism, we don't have any version of democracy. Hmm. The U.S. is not a democracy. Yo. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. Um, but we've been convinced, that, and that's what our school systems have done. They've taught us that we we believe that it is a democracy, but it's not, because more than half the country doesn't even participate. In these electoral processes, mm. right? Um, and I know it's a long roundabout way of answering your question, but it, it was no, it was very insightful. Thought, I yeah. feel like another example is Grenada, a little bit like the the takeover there. Mm-hmm. I don't know the details on the violence, but essentially, mm-hmm. like people were really tired with the previous president, and he was basically like bowing down to the British Empire and bowing down to colonialism. That's what we see everywhere, right? That, that's simply what we see. And you're not, but the thing is. If colonialism was violent, is violent. Mm-hmm. Slavery was mm-hmm. violent, is violent. And you think that these people not gonna hold on to this stuff by any by any means necessary? So right. for us, I mean, and you know, obviously, advocating violence for us as a as people. When I say us, I mean black people. I mean indigenous people. I mean people who have historically been exploited. Is a is a it's a difficult you know, line to toe um, because of the because of the structural inequality that exists. Right, like. We're talking about countries that have drones and can drop bombs on entire, excuse me, continents. So it, it's it's complicated, but th- mm-hmm. but there is really no way we're going to achieve our freedom without some form of violence because we're experiencing it every day. I love this conversation so much. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. <laughs> I have a question though. Okay, because it seems like you're a socialist leaning. Is Absolutely. that correct? No, I'm okay. a socialist. I'm, no, I'm a, a pan-Africanist. But <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, and I'm speaking as someone whose family is from Venezuela, mm-hmm. who some of them we've had to extract from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in an, and my family there isn't even Black. I would say that they're Indigenous, but mm-hmm. in an anti-Black world, 
mm-hmm. wouldn't socialism still be anti-black? It doesn't have no, not necessarily. Um, Is there like an example where so, it hasn't been? So no, that I think that's a completely um, earnest question. Here's a part of what the problem is, and this is why I don't necessarily say I'm just a socialist. This is why I say I'm a Pan Africanist, right? Because, for example, in Cuba, right, when the Cuban Revolution triumphed, initially, the people who felt the material change in in, in Cuba after the revolution the most were Afro-Cubans. But there's a reason why. It's because because prior to the triumph of the revolution, they were existing in a in a perpetual state of exploitation. And so creating a country where there is a sort of where there is an evenness um, of distribution means that the people on the bottom are going to feel it the most. Right. One of the problems that happened, and 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 you talk to people in Cuba, what they'll say that that period after um, fifty nine and before the end of, and before the special period in the nineties, people say that like for the most part, um, racial differences all but disappeared, right? And that's because people had access, equal access to things. One of the reasons why it immediately resurfaces. And when the Soviet Union falls and the Cuban and the Cuban government loses this sort of external funding support is because the ideas, those ideas were never done away with, right? So what we have to understand is that the system, socialism or, or capitalism or communism, these are economic systems of ways of structuring that need to also account for the social systems that have, that have evolved over time. And that's what did not happen in the case of the Cuban revolution. And that is one thing that was happening, although imperfectly in the case of Venezuela, one of the things that Chavez did say is that, you know, some of the mistakes he didn't want to repeat of the Cuban revolution. He wanted to think more explicitly about questions of race and gender and all these other things, right? Again, imperfectly, right? Um, and then we also, we also cannot ignore that it is difficult to measure the success of any revolution that claims for it to be socialist in a world that is capitalist. Because we live in a world where resources, um, where most countries are not self-sustaining. Almost no countries in the world are self-sustaining. And the only ones that might be able to be are mostly countries on the African continent. And and because of a lack of, um, what do you call it? What 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 is the word I'm trying to think of? Because of a lack of sort of uh, because of institutional underdevelopment as a result of, of slavery and colonization. Say structure, but that sounds. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, because of the lack of that, we're often not able to. Right? Like Guinea has enough natural water to source all of West Africa with clean water, yet they buy in bagged water from France. So yeah. they have the ability to do so, but they don't have the the means to do so. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I say that to say we cannot think about implementing socialism or communism or any other economic system without thinking about these other these other systems of inequality that have developed alongside and because of these economic systems. Right. So they they are partnered to these economic systems but they've taken on a life of their own right so sexism racism like they've all taken on lives of their own so the answer to your question chelsea is yes in some ways if if there if there's not an explicit plan to think about and undo ideas or notions of anti-blackness uh, of sexism, then of course, yes, those same things will be replicated because they still exist in the minds of people. Mm-hmm. And that's what, and that is for me partially why 
not partially, that is predominantly why I identify as a Pan-Africanist because it is because socialism is the economic system. But there, but for me, there is a, a focus of primacy on Africa, on the peoples of Africa and understanding our social predicament as well as our economic predicament. So those things have to be done in tandem with one another. That kind of leads to the next question I had, just an understanding like Pan-African movements in the diaspora, because I feel like, you know, a lot of us grow up celebrating Kwanzaa to an extent, right? And you hear about like cooperative economics and so much of that being like a part of like kind of inherently us as a culture, no matter like where in Africa you are from or no matter where you in the diaspora you're from, so much of what we do is like working together as a community. Like I was talking to Chelsea and Glenn about this, um, about like the concept of a susu and like Caribbean culture where like everyone's putting in money and people are taking out money each week and kind of like creating a communal loan system. And like I was in Mexico recently and they were like, we have that too. And I was just like, whoa, like there's so much history Mm -hmm. of us like working together communally Mm -hmm. to support one another. But then when the concepts get more broadly scaled, I feel like it either just kind of like doesn't function. And I think a lot of that is to your point of what you just said. And that like, it's hard to kind of compete when you have systems of capitalism already existing, but Mm -hmm. also it feels like we lose some of that. Like as we, to Glenn's point, look to attain more. Yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, again, this is why, this is why education, I think, is so important and fundamental. Because you, even as much as we might have some communal leanings as mm-hmm. people, um, we're not uncorruptible, right? And so the thing about being uncorruptible, it's not something you're born with. It's not something innate. It's something that it's a muscle you build, right? It's a it's a, it's a commitment that you develop. So the re, so the way that you make yourself uncorruptible is by developing a commitment to a to a principle right to a principled way of engaging human beings and that and that you know for some people that's religion right for some people that that's our that's morality that's what what do you do when nobody's looking right mm-hmm. because integrity exactly it's all of those mm-hmm. things so you know who who among us you know is not tempted if you see fifty dollars sitting somewhere randomly oh i'm just t-. but the but what it is but it's your principles it's your morals it's your integrity it says okay maybe this belongs to somebody it probably does I don't know if the person that this belongs to this might be the last of what they have this might make a complete difference for them whereas this might be just some little extra something something for me it might make a difference in my life too but you know whatever so so I mean that's a very small example but it's and then when I say education I'm not talking about schooling I'm talking about education that we have to develop principled commitments to how we engage with one another. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, because even for me, like Africa, Black people are primary for me, but that doesn't mean that I don't understand the ways that Indigenous people all over the world, right? Because also, even the, the term Indigenous is, is interesting because we, the, we African people are Indigenous to Africa, right? So, so is Indigenous, you know, be every, anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I understand, but I understand the nature of sh- our shared struggles with Palestinians, with Aboriginals yes. in, 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 um, in Australia or, the, or Melanesia. Um, so for me, it is, it's a principled commitment to a world without exploitation. And that means that even though I can focus my primary um, 
my my primary work is on on black people people of african descent but i'm always looking for the ways that it connects with other with the work that other people are doing and i know that our our freedom and our liberation can't come at the expense of anybody else's and so mm-hmm. while, while i choose to put my energy in certain places i'm not blocking anybody else's fight <laughs> anybody else's fight right mm-hmm. and i'm thinking about how we always can be in community with one another and so for me that again that's that's about education that's about principles i don't know any way any other way than to do that because it's not a, it's not a feeling it's not an aid it's not god giving like i said it's a muscle that you have to develop to be good to people mm. How do you feel about black billionaires? Oh yeah, the same way I feel about white billionaires. All right, I wanted to hear. I was, <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to some of your podcasts, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. But um, I don't want to misquote, but I think you had a guest on, and he kind of was like equating this concept of like buy black, buy black to like neoliberalism to some extent. And I don't know if it's necessarily like small businesses, but the way that we're like. Listen, I love me some Rihanna, but the way we're like, oh my God, she's the first black billionaire. And I'm like, off of fucking sweatshop, Savage Fenty and Fenty Beauty, the fuck? Like, come on now. Like, I want to support that. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, it's like, it's just a part of the same structures that are like suppressing, oppressing all of us. And Mm -hmm. I think that goes to what you just said about like, you know, I want us to all basically kind of be able to grow together. And if mm-hmm. the my me growing off the backs of Indian sweatshop workers creating my my seven twenty, like that's yeah. not the way. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean that that's the thing. But again, you can't become a billionaire without a system like capitalism. And so, if you're anti-capitalist, then you must be anti-billionaire, no matter what body they're in. Mm-hmm. Because the because there is. There is no amount of work, no amount of work that you can do as an individual to amass that amount of wealth. The only way you can amass that amount of wealth is by stealing from the labor of someone mm. else and of, of many someone, many someone else's, right? Mm. Um, and so, you know, that is, I mean, th- that's the fundamental way I understand it. So there's, so for me, there's no question of who the billion, what kind of body the billionaire is in or the millionaire, even, even a million, like there's, there's no question about that. We can, Mm -hmm. we can work to sustain ourselves. We can have pleasures in life. Like that's the other thing that people, I think often misunderstand about what socialism It's not, it's not, or even communism. It's not this depiction of gray sameness. Um, There is an ability to thrive and and be creative and, and, and contribute different types of things and enjoy life. Like it's not about, it's not about lack, it's about sharing. Right. Um, And that's, I think another thing that we have to shift our mentality about, you know, it's, it's not about um, spreading poverty. It's about sharing wealth. (laughs) We, we all can be poverty. But that's but that's how people but that's how people think about socialism, right? They think about socialism communists as oh, we're all going to be the same. Yeah. We're all going to be able to do muck. anything. Yeah, I know. I think about like gray blankets and eating like going down a delivery line and they're putting slop in your bowl or something. But we are eating slop. What the, oh, what the McDonald's chicken nuggets? That fucking that shit is slop. Like what is that? That's, I, <laughs> Layla, what is your um? And the question will make sense after. What is your like ethnic background or like nationality? 
Yeah, I'm a. I am the descendant. I, I, I don't want to say that because I don't want Ados. Yeah, you don't. Oh! No, hell no, <laughs> not Ados. That was my. Goal. I was I gonna ask a question about that because I don't want them coming. Here's, I, I'm, I'm gonna answer it clearly. Okay, okay. As right. far back as I know, mm-hmm. I am the child of people who were born and enslaved in the U.S. As far back as I know, I'm well aware that my ancestors are from somewhere on the continent. I do not know where. I don't have any other, to my knowledge, immediate uh, Latin American or Caribbean um, heritage, although I'm sure there's somewhere. I don't know, but I don't know. So, yes, I would be the descendant of people who are enslaved in the U.S., but don't ever confuse me with Eidos. Okay. I I wanted to ask this question because you... Although we're talking about, you know, the economic structures, you have mentioned several times that you're a Pan-Africanist. And this I've seen a lot of like debate and conversation over from especially Black Americans about how Pan-Africanism like hurts people who are descended from, as far as they know, American enslaved people. So what say you? To someone, <laughs> to someone who is a Black American and is like, actually, no, this Pan-Africanism shit does not work. We need to distinguish ourselves. That's how we get things like our reparations. Um, and that's how we kind of get our just due in this country that we built. I'm going to be Layla the teacher right now and not, not Layla the person on the street. Because Layla the person on the street, you're dumb as fuck. But anyway, <laughs> Layla the teacher... <laughs> Layla the teacher would say, um, okay, so the vast majority of us who are in the Americas are here as a result of the transatlantic slave trade. And I would argue even those who have migrated later on, because the reason why they have migrated later on is because of the way that that the system of, of colonization and imperialism has destroyed the infrastructure elsewhere in the world. And so people continue to migrate looking for better looking for better lives more possibilities because of what has been made impossible where they are so even new immigrants from the continent of africa or even latin america wherever else i would still say are migrating as a product of slavery um but if we go back just to that and just to that initial moment of the transatlantic slave trade less than about seven percent of all enslaved africans came to the continental u.s mm. seven seven percent over 90% of enslaved Africans went to Latin America and the Caribbean. And more than 40% of them went to Brazil, right? So if Blackness has any kind of meaning or currency outside of the continent in the U.S., where we are 12% of the population, how does it then become somehow less significant, less meaningful in places like Brazil, where there are more than half the population, or even depending on how you count and who you ask, in places like uh, the Dominican Republic, Cuba, <laughs> Venezuela, Colombia, the population is more than half of some discernible African descent, right? How do, how do we then have a monopoly on Blackness in the U.S.? how it just it just it don't the numbers don't make sense that's that's just the first thing I would say what now and then the other thing I would say is there is something there is something about being at the heart at the center of empire right the belly of the beast so because we live in the U.S. um the black experience in the U.S. much like every other experience in the U.S. it gets exported to the rest of the world and it gets taken up in a certain way but I don't think we should confuse that phenomenon with 
what it means to be in, in form, the descendants of formerly enslaved and or the formerly colonized, right? They're two sides of the same coin. And so I don't even make that same type of distinction not only do I think about Blackness in the American sense, as in America from, you know, Alaska to Chile, I'm also thinking about it in relationship to continent. Because, you know, to think about what it's like to have been essentially enslaved on your own land, like, you know, to live, to, to be, you know, South Africa is obviously one of the settler colonial, settler colonies parts once that we understand. South Africans, I mean, Black South Africans make up almost 90% of the population in South Africa and they have been systematically disenfranchised like I mean you know it's one thing for us in the U.S. to think about the fact that we're in the minority but to be in a significant majority in your own homeland and still be treated like nothing still be denied your ability to live as a free and dignified human being have no right you know so there I, I don't I don't and also also what does it do for us to to continue to separate ourselves out and minoritize ourselves we are a global majority. There is more power in our understanding of ourselves as a global majority than some kind of special minority in the case of the U.S. What does that do for us? But I feel like, Chelsea, a lot of what you've expressed and what you've like learned is a lot of the frustration stems from progress that we see within the United States is happening more so with Black folk that are not necessarily... Black descendants of enslaved people, Black Americans. So yeah, there's this, there's like a um a book that's that's quoted a lot in like, and mind you, I had never heard of Eidos. I'm like learning about it, but um from here to to equality, um by William Darity, mm-hmm. um and he talks a lot about like just like this need for delineation because we see a lot of Black doctors, they're Nigerian. We see the first Black president from his research, Black Americans specifically, their wealth is just consistently going to zero. um, And COVID has exacerbated that for them. He feels like there needs to be a distinction, especially because of this reparations claim. So like without, without, without delineating that group, then you can't argue how down bad that group is, if that makes sense. I do. I mean, I'm familiar with Sandy Daddy's arguments. The problem is we're fighting for crumbs. Hmm. We're all entitled to reparations, also, but also reparations is complicated because there is nothing that Terracom's can be done to doing re- their thing. Too. But to me, but there's nothing that can be done to repair the damage that was done for slavery. There's, there's absolutely, I mean, there's work that we can do to improve our conditions, but nothing can repair that damage that was mm-hmm. done. So that's that's just one set of things for me. But also, the problem the problem with that argument being configured that way again is that we're fighting for crumbs why are we fighting against each other to determine whose whose black experience was bad enough to deserve more crumbs from the people who have been exploiting both of us to me that's the this is the wrong target and the, and the truth and also the truth of the matter is that there is a way because of the way blackness is understood i i haven't been anywhere where the where the other black is not romanticized and exoticized as in relationship to the native black that happens everywhere that happens everywhere 
Like whatever the, the native black population is, they still gonna get shitted on. And they and they always create the and this is that this is that divide and conquer, right? This is mm. this is how that rule works, right? We say, okay, well, those Negroes over there, they're special, they're smarter, they're better, they're this, they're that. And so then you end up fighting with the part you end up fighting with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Because why why are we why are we accepting the distinctions, differentia- differentiations that are being made between us? And also that's like that is more of a class issue than anything because the vast majority this is it's it's the same way for the most for the most part um like people who are migrating to the u.s um from cuba and even venezuela right are often white and they're white because they're because they are they are escaping um the economic restructuring that has happened in the favor of poor people in their respective countries and so in the u.s we largely see cuba as a white country because of what we who we see cubans are but the rest of latin america knows cuba is a black ass country mm-hmm. it's a black ass like it's not it's not even no debating or denying it right and so when you talk about and so in the in cuba brazil were two of the places where slavery went on the the longest and they were some of the best producing so when we think about who was owed reparations how do how does it then only become black people who were enslaved in the u.s when you know when we think about the the history of enslavement across the americas and how long people suffer and relatively how they suffer i mean shit in the dominican republic there is a a plantation that i've a former sugarcane plantation that i visited in boca de nigua and on that particular plantation the life expectancy of enslaved africans from the day they set foot off the ship was two to five years two to five years Lord. And the reason being is because of the way sugarcane is uh, processed and manufactured. They would chain enslaved Africans to feed wood into a furnace to keep, because, you know, once you start processing sugarcane, you have to keep it burning. Mm-hmm. And at that time, obviously, you don't have any, you know, electronic mechanisms for doing that. So you have to do that manually. That's either by enslaved people doing it or working. And so they're in these, you know, the, this um, these underground sort of um contraptions feeding wood into a fire where they can't breathe and they're dying within two to five years how, how do we not conceive of 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 those people also deserving reparations mm-hmm. and and why they're leaving the dominican republic to come to the u.s is yet another product of, a, of another level of that type of um of imperial imperial force that the U.S. has imposed on the Dominican Republic, right? I mean, and, and that's that's the same story that's told over and over and over again. And so, and the thing is, Cindy Darity is, is a brilliant man. <laughs> and so, it, honestly, it really, sometimes it, um, it baffles me. Uh, <laughs> I just think uh, this conversation is, uh, thank you again for coming, but it's just like so complicated because then you say something and then more questions pop up into my mind. Yeah. And also, I have a close relationship to this, right? Like, I am a, I am an American girl but both of my parents are not from this country so Mm -hmm. people have called me like a runner or called my Mm -hmm. mom a runner like weird things told me I'm not black um in within this group that I'm I am still curious about as much as they've offended me (laughs) um can I ask what what do they mean when they call you a runner that my family ran away from their country to come to America for a perceived better life one woman, I'm going to try to quote her, she has said to me, 
your family thought America was the land of opportunity, whereas my family has always known it as the land of oppression. That's what she said to me. Um, and my family did look at America as a land of opportunity. And then they got here and the shit was racist too. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but, um, but also in the country that my mother came from, she didn't have shoes when she was going mm-hmm. to school. So mm-hmm. very a different, but I also know that there are some people in the real world. South here that might not have shoes either. So yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think something that you put on it, that's been you put on it and I don't know how we always come back to this damn group, but <laughs> I'm just so intrigued by, by a, them. A spin that you put on it is like, we can't necessarily, because I feel like a lot of the argument then is like, oh, well then go get your money from Spain. Go get your money from France. Go right. get your money from Belgium. Which but Caricom like, is doing filing a reparations claim. But the other thing is, it's not, it's not that like clear, like sure. Spain, before Grenada was colonized by um, the British, they were colonized by the Spanish, hence the name Grenada from Grenada from Grenada. From... All right, so now I go to Spain and the British. I could potentially go to the French. I should go fuck up no, the United States because Ronald all Reagan all came to some bullshit. But no, but here's the problem with the U.S., though. Because, because the U.S. did not exist as a nation as such when all this is happening, People don't, people don't even know how to really conceive mm-hmm. of the role of the U.S. as an, as an imperial force mm-hmm. because they can't think about it. And then, but then people leave out places like Portugal. People talk about the fact that the sun never set on the British Empire. They were nasty. ruled the whole damn world. Right? So, I mean, just, you know, and the, the problem with places like Spain and Portugal is because you know, they, they got, they got in too early on the trade and then they lost out. Right. So that's, that's, that's part of what happened and not even lost out. They, they made a lot of, they cut a lot of deals. Like a lot of the, I didn't, I, you know, I, I went to Portugal last year and I did this tour, this African heritage tour. And I didn't even realize that Portugal, I think Portugal had owned either Ghana or some, or maybe somewhere um, in, in the, in that area at a certain point in time and literally gave up the land in a, in a marriage as a marriage gift. Right. Like, I mean, these people were like trading us and I, like, you know, they were so, like, Oh, I'll give up that country. I'm like good. It was nothing. Someone so could have, like it was monopoly. Exactly. Yes. Literally. It was. The, the other it was. like talking point, And I'm, again, not speaking my own views. I'm just throwing this in the conversation is it seems like they're especially mad at Africans because they sold us, which can be perceived as a white supremacist talking point. Absolutely. But like, I know they, I know they did technically trade us, but they didn't understand what was going to happen. I don't believe that they understood how bad chattel slavery was going to be. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I think that by no in no way do I think that we should silence that conversation. We do need to talk about what that reality was, mm-hmm. but we also need to not conflate it with what with with the entire reality, right? Um, you know, blackness and Africanness is a thing that came into being on those ships. People did not understand. We did not understand ourselves as black or African as we do now, prior to being thrown together. And figuring out how to make, you know, we experienced oppression 
that was justified on the basis of con- of of conflating all of us right of collapsing mm-hmm. all of us into one thing and so that category of being black or african gained meaning through that and that's that's real that's that's something that we have to understand and so yeah we were sold in sl- because slavery as a as a system already existed the trans the trans slave trade had already existed mm-hmm. the, the indian ocean slave trade already existed so that's not that's not an excuse that's not a dismissal of what all of that meant but it's it's a question of scale and scope that i think is being confused um when people behave as if I mean, for certainly, like you, we can all be mad at whoever sold us into slavery at any point in time, <laughs> at any point in time. <laughs> but what we can't do is act like they've, that for the most part, they've continued to reap the benefits of selling us into slavery. True. I see the sun is, has set over España. <laughs> so I don't want to take home. You're in up. Spain? <laughs> yes. yes. Where? But it's, it's only seven o'clock. I'm in um, Valencia. Oh, it's some paella for me. <laughs> I've already had some. I, some <laughs> I don't want to take up all your time. I have one last question and then I will, you know, let you go back to the paella and the sangria and all the good things. Um, but I do want to know, like, how you feel about living within these systems while also trying to combat them. Like, I sometimes like the girls call me out because I'm always like socialism but I will buy a bitch will buy a new bag with the quickness and my theory is a Chanel one my (laughs) theory is when we all get free you know we all gonna have nice bags okay so it's a a quality of the nice bag having and you know they will be made in an ethical way when we get there we ain't there yet and so do you keep supporting it in the in the meantime though listen it's a balance it's a balance (laughs) And I would love to know Dr. Brown's thoughts. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I, I'm not going to say it the way she says it, right? But there's something that Sharice always says. She's like, our personal lives reveal the, the contradictions of the limits of our politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think it is both good for you all to challenge each other on whether or not that's how we spend our money. But I also think... Um, be getting free is not about like not having nice shit. Having nice shit is not the problem. The problem is how the nice shit is created and how and and who and who and how we're able to you know who who is able to access it based on what right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like it's not about fetishizing poverty again. And again, that's the same argument that I made about the way people try to misunderstand what socialism is. It's not about sharing poverty. It's about sharing wealth. And so. In a world where, you know, we all can work and live and learn and eat and be safe, we can have nice shit. Um, In the meantime, I don't know. I spend my little money. I spend all my little coins on traveling. That's what I like to do. So, mm-hmm. so I do. And that's not a judge. You know, we all have our things. And I don't necessarily think that any one of those things says anything about who we are and our commitment necessarily. Um, but I do think we have to constantly ask ourselves those questions. Yes. You know, Absolutely. I'm not... I don't think it's our, it's not my job to condemn anybody for whatever it is that, you know, gives them a little bit of joy because this world is fucked up. <laughs> and most of us are not going to see, most of us are not going to see the world that we want to see in our own lifetimes. And so, you know, I think I'm all about, like, you know, my, my mother passed away in 2018. 
Um, and since then, I have been all about finding joy, finding ways to find a little bit of peace and happiness in the world as it's fucked up. Um, and if some of those things, you know, are buying bags for you, that's your thing. Like we all got, we all have a thing. <laughs> um, and when you say types of works, just as a final question for, for our listeners that want to like, I don't know, learn more or get started in this work or do the participate work locally. Like, what do we, what does that mean sure. when you say do the work? For sure. Um, you know, one of the things Kwame Torrey always says, organize, 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 and join, and join an organization. And to be clear, um, joining an organization, um, don't just join any organization, join, join a, a radical revolutionary organization that is thinking about the liberation of our people. But one of the other things that's important about organization is it teaches us how it teaches us how to work with other people and it helps us to live our principles out in practice, right? Because mm-hmm. we can talk, we can talk a bunch of talk. We can talk about anything to be black and blue in the face. Um, but if we're not struggling with other people to figure out, okay, you know, what are the, what are my own personal contradictions? Like where are my, what are my own limitations? One of the things that I'm struggling with, um, how to literally work with people. Like, you know, when we live as individuals, we do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do, but that's not how, that's not what it's like to actually live and be and work with people. And so like, you know, part of when we were talking about earlier, sort of, you know, morality um, and integrity and practice, you can't do that at home by yourself. You you have to be struggling with other people. I'm personally a member of the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Um, My co-host of LDI, she is a member of BAP, the Black Alliance for Peace. Um, You know, depending on where you are, what your area is, I know there's a lot of controversy around all these Black Lives Matter associated groups at the moment. (laughs) <laughs> because of you know misappropriation of funds and all those other kinds of things although but but I don't want to give that to the people on mm. the ground in those organizations because I think that the vast majority of people who joined those organizations did so to do good work and mm-hmm. you know we got a lot of flawed we got a lot of flawed leaders who ain't living out their principles and but that that shouldn't stop us from still trying to do the work yeah. Integrity, integrity is what we need more of. Doing the right thing when no one is looking. Exactly. Yeah. Except I 100% steal from Walmart and Home Depot and all the other companies. <laughs> well, That's they Walmart. can get stolen from ah! Home Depot, all my plants, <laughs> my whole garden. <laughs> I may or may not have allegedly, been the getaway allegedly. car. Allegedly, allegedly, she steal. pulled up with the plants. Allegedly, I skirt, skirted off. <laughs> Your girl's a good Catholic. I don't steal. <laughs> is, it, is it theft though? Or is it just, is it just a reappropriation? It's right. reappropriation. It's your reparations. You deserve Correct. them plants. You deserve them plants. Dreams around right. me. You and them plants oxygen. deserve to be in your home. Period. <laughs> Dr. Brown, is there anything else you want to share with us? I'm going to plug your podcast in our show notes. But you also have a podcast. Lord, where is my document? All right, you're just gonna have to say let's the name. name the, let's yeah. also name it uh, for the listeners who don't read the show notes. Yes, yeah. so please. I'm a co-host of the Last Open Intellectual. You can find us on um, Twitter and Instagram at LDI Podcast, um, and I think on Facebook it's just the Last Open Intellectual. But the the, the podcast itself is available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. I think wherever you can listen to podcasts. Y'all better tune in. I've been listening all morning and it has been really great watching on YouTube. 
anything else you want to share with us for the listeners to know or to look for you? No, I mean, at some point in the future, this book is going to come out, but I'm still working. (laughs) (laughs) Let us know when it's ready. I would love for you to come back because I'm telling you, we can have you talking and into the, into the wee hours of the night over there. I think it was the last episode where we talked about this. We had this, what would you do come in from a friend of, of, of ours who met this woman in Thailand, thought it was a love connection, flew her out, and then she went ghost. Update, he thought that he might hear from her before he left this island. He never did. The time passed. She went back home. I don't know if I told y'all that he got an alert that she changed her flight and like extended the days, but then told him nothing. <laughs> Savage. So this is a what would you do slash kind of a hotline bling, right? Because he just sent this text of what he plans to send to her as the sort of like capping off the situation. And let's workshop this a little bit. Okay. So he says, hope you made it back safely and had a good trip. I have to say, I'm very disappointed with how this all worked out. Still trying to understand this experience so I can learn from it. Maybe you can help me understand. I was genuinely excited to get to know you and spend a relaxed week together. In the end, you totally ghosted me and it felt like you had no interest in knowing me at all. So in reality, you wanted a free flight to spend time with your friends. If you get here and decided, if you got here and decided you were not interested, fine. But at least you could have said something. Disappear like you did was rude and hurtful. Overall, I guess it was stupid to trust you. I have always been a trusting person and I think I treated you like a gentleman. In return, you treated me like a fool. And I hope you can help me understand why. With that said, even if you really, even if I really don't like how you manage the situation, I don't need to keep anger in my head, wishing you a good life, whatever you choose to do with it. My first thought was there's a little bit too much salt in the message. Did she respond? He hasn't sent it yet. This is an opportunity to workshop. Yeah, I would agree that it's quite salty. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering what is his goal in sending this message? Correct. Like is the goal to get her to apologize? Is the goal to get her to say no, actually, I do want like you. Like, what is the point? She's already shown that she doesn't like you. Let it go. Honestly, he should have canceled the flight back home. <laughs> Ooh, that would have been so savage. I agree, Chelsea. I was like, what? Like, what is it that you want from this? Because there's two different tones in this message. And this could be like a learning opportunity for a lot. I think this comes up a lot for people. They want to send this like closure message. And in part, they want to be like, have a nice life, but then they also actually want you to respond. Like there's like mixed messages in this message, right? Like it's saying, it's basically shutting her off, but then it's also wanting her to say shit back. Like, which do you want? And Mm -hmm. which is more valuable? Is there anything that she could say to you right now that's actually going to make you feel better? Or would you rather just hit her with the spicy, bye, have a nice life, which I think will always come off like a little bit too butthurt. and, And you'll never really, that's like not satisfying either I think I would put the onus on her to have to reply and if she doesn't I, reply then it's like cowardly cowardly I think or say nothing if he just wants to vent because I'm I'm this type of person where like sure like maybe you want, there's like an inkling of you that wants a response but sometimes you just like want to get something off your chest I would probably be way more bitchy than that it would probably be like the saltiest of salt and I don't think there's anything wrong with that I just want him to come off a little bit more like boss-like and elevated about it. Like you bought shorty a flight. Just act like a person that buys flights. Do you know what I mean? What the fuck is that? (laughs) What is that? Just like just a little bit more boss-like. Like, wow. I guess I got to chalk it up to the game. I don't know. Some shit. Like just something a little bit more boss-like. not a pimp. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I yeah, I think the message is like you've already demonstrated to her from her lens that you're a, a little simpy. And now this message is stamping the simp on the envelope. Don't send it. Oh, shit. Not stamping the simp on the envelope. Listen, everyone unpacks things in their own way. So I think if that feels good for him, sure. But you did bring up a valid point of like, what is the end goal? Is it that you are saying this because now you want her to reply and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or you just want to like, dump something off your chest I mean if you could also journal that but I'm I'm, a, I'm petty so I want to be like you're a bum bitch you know you shouldn't call women bum bitches but you know in that vein and yeah like definitely I would want to do something like that. here's the thing if somebody sent me some shit like that I'd be like LMAO okay <laughs> literally like you got okay. I had fun in Thailand thanks did you did, did you have fun getting that off your chest okay like she could be real rude and then it would suck more. Right, then you have more egg on your face. Correct. I'd be like, I did have fun getting up that my chest, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, uh, I don't know. No way to win. The saga continues. I hope he does get some kind of closure, but it just sounds like she was a little bit immature and just took him for a ride. He took him for a ride. He got got. Mm-hmm. Took him for a ride. Yeah. Well, that's that on that, y'all. Yeah. Well, you know, good luck, bro. And uh. If you haven't seen listeners, we did drop new merch. Um, It's available on Instagram. I think by the time this episode comes out, you'll still be able to buy off of Instagram and get free shipping. So consider that. Um, We have four colors. Um, If you're light skinned, don't get the light brown. I made that mistake. (laughs) Did you look naked? It just like washed me out. It looked Mm. like I didn't even have on a shirt. Um, (laughs) So... But the other colors are incredible. And if you have more of like a brown tone, it's very pretty, the, the tan. Um, but yeah, check that out. And as always, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Sexing. Follow us on Twitter, Black Girls Sex One. Follow us on Patreon or become a patron. And we also have a YouTube. Everything's Black Girls Sexing. The brand is strong. Love you for listening. Bye. I love. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting and we'll see you next week. Bye.